You'll have to come every week in order to see what exactly are the different versions. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tyler had uh, given a, a, a sermon in the series in Nehemiah, and he had talked about uh, internal conflicts, things that happen internally. So we know that there were external conflicts to the people as they were rebuilding, and then there were also these uh, internal conflicts that arose. And one of the questions that came into us uh, during the Q&R time that we didn't get to was, um, the question was, how can we do conflict better? And to give an example. And so uh, I just wanted to, to go back and get that one because I think it's very good. How can we do conflict better um, and give an example? And so I just want to sort of bust the bubble here that, yes, there can actually be conflicts in a church. Um, surprise. So the, the classic way that conflict happens um, typically in a church at Westview or at many other churches is someone may have a disagreement or think something isn't quite right, and what they do is, I guess, a, a sort of a, a popular maxim is quiet quitting. They just leave, and we don't hear from them. We don't know why. We, don't, we follow up, and we go, oh, they're actually just, poof, they're gone. And this is a, a, a case that we, we experience here. I, I talk to pastors all the time. In fact, pastors kind of joke about getting ghosted, um, where you spend a lot of time with the family, and then all of a sudden something happens. You don't know what it is, but they're just gone. The enemy's strategies. So we've talked a lot about the enemy's strategies during this series. One of the things, the enemy's, one of his primary strategies is to get people to be quiet. Jesus uses the metaphor of a shepherd and a flock. So you can imagine if you can get one of the members of the flock and have them quiet. The enemy is trying to get people to be quiet, whereas Jesus talks about both in, in conflict, I use these, uh, I talk about it as the bookends of conflict, in Matthew 5.23 and in Matthew 18.15. Uh, and in both cases, whether you have a conflict with somebody or somebody has a conflict with you, in both cases, what Jesus says is, Talk to them. Actually have a conversation with them. Actually meet with them in person. Get together with them face-to-face uh, -face and have a conversation. Our voices are important. And the way we do that, I will also refer to Jesus in the middle between 5 and 18 is Matthew 11, where Jesus says, uh, Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so the way we have the conversation is in a posture of humility and dialogue where we are actually demonstrating the posture of Jesus Christ. And so I just wanted to give that as one example of conflicts that arise and also one way that we can uh, better work through conflict is by actually having that conversation with somebody and working towards a, a restorative relationship. So we are in our series in Nehemiah. And uh, we've just finished uh, chapter 6 where we've been with them and we've heard that the wall has been built and while all this commotion was going on and yet the work isn't done because there's more going on than the, the, the uh, bricks and the mortar that are being used to build the wall. Uh, God actually has in mind to build or rebuild a community, a community of people and so the question is, how is this going to be sustained? How, what is God's plan for sustaining this community? 
And by now, you probably have realized that I am mapping the rebuilding of the community that took place uh, in Nehemiah's era. I am mapping that to our case here at Westview as well, uh, the case of building and rebuilding our community. What is God's plan for the sustainability of this community? Well, would you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 7? Starting at verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah charge over Jerusalem, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, The gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot, while the gatekeepers are still standing guard. Let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their watch posts and others before their own houses. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. And so we hear already that Nehemiah is organizing the community. They've established this wall, and now he's organizing them. And what is central to the community is worship. There are singers, Levites or priests, gatekeepers, which today we might call welcome ministry or ushers uh, that are part of the, the worship that's taking place. They're concerned also with protection. And so the guards and the citadel, the citadel was the sort of central aspect of, of protection. And so, yes, there were real legitimate threats, and so they were organizing the protection. They were organized around safety, so things around processes. This idea that, look, we shouldn't open the gates to the, to the city until the sun is up. You know, uh, my, my mother had this question, you know, can anything good happen after midnight? Um, and so maybe she got that from here. But the processes that they were setting up were all good, getting organized, but one of the problems, the primary thing that Nehemiah identifies here is that the city was, was large, it was vast from their perspective, and yet it was sparsely inhabited. It was largely, there, was, there weren't a lot of people from his perspective in the city. They were uh, in the regions around the city, they were living outside the city, but not in. The problem was all of this space which is antithetical to community, of being, literally being together, of having life together. And you know, this might sound um, a little familiar. If you uh, were part of Westview back in 2015, 2018, 2019, pre-COVID, well, you probably were experiencing a congregation uh, that was uh, considerably larger than the congregation is today. There's space today. Those of us that are newer, we don't necessarily recognize that or remember it, um, but, but that is the case. You know, and it's funny, this thing about crowds and space and so on. Kimberly and I were uh, in uh, Florence. Um, I was uh, on a sabbatical when uh, COVID uh, hit. 
And, but before it hit, we were in Florence, and we were living right downtown, and um, boy, the crowds, the, the population density was quite high, and so we were walking down these narrow streets, cobblestone streets, and we're constantly bumping into people, and, and it was like, man, I didn't know, and I'm a prairie you know, kid, so I'm used to space, you know, mile roads, fields, uh, and there's all this jostling and stuff, and at first I didn't like it, because I was constantly moving out of everybody's way. After a little while, we figured out how to manage with all this stuff. But then when COVID hit, and the whole thing got desperately quiet, I thought, bring back the crowds. You know what? Bring back the crowds. I would rather, like, just... The first group that went, there were over 10,000 uh, students um, that were there downtown. The first group that left were all those, the, the foreign students. It got one step quieter. And I was like, oh, we don't actually, I like, you know what? I actually like the sound. There's something about community. There's something about space. And that's, the, the, the case is for many churches, it's not just Westview, it's for many churches in, in Alberta, in Canada, in the United States, and elsewhere. It seems to me that actually perhaps COVID has carried off some people that were churchgoers and carried them off into exile. I would actually uh, posit that um, perhaps some of them were already gone. They were just still physically present. But maybe they were already detached. Maybe this is the sort of the last gasp of Christendom where people were kind of attending but not really engaged. But the problem, of course, is this aspect of um, not having a community of proximity, not being present together, of having a lot of space. It's, by definition, community requires togetherness. And so Nehemiah has decided that what he needs to do is encourage the people to live inside Jerusalem, to live together inside Jerusalem, not just in the uh, you know, remote areas or in the regional little towns and villages, but they need to live inside uh, Jerusalem. But what is God's plan here? How is this going to come about? So we continue as we ask this question about God's plan for the sustainability, and we see in verse 5, Then God put it in my mind to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who were the first to come back. And I found the following written in it. Now just pause for a second. So here's the strategy. Nehemiah wants to get, he's, he's inspired by God. We need to get people to be in community, get people back together, living together in proximity and presence together. And what the Lord says is, um, why don't you register people by families and discover who's already here and register them by families? Because one of the things that God is doing is he is um, wanting to cultivate a sense of responsibility, or could I even say duty? These are like words and concepts that are against the, the social currents of today, the sense of responsibility or sense of duty. Now, you don't inherit your faith from your parents, but what was going on here is 
Nehemiah was inspired by God to say, look, if you actually discover who the families are that are here, who the families are that established and are rebuilding this, then maybe the other people that are part of that family will be so motivated that they will have a sense of responsibility, almost a sense of duty to be part of that because this is part of your heritage. And in the course of doing this, they discover the books of the records of those people who had already migrated back to the city of Jerusalem in that region. And it's a big list. Uh, Winston, maybe you could help me with this list. We'll start here. Look at this. He starts giving the list of the people and the numbers. And next slide. The people and the numbers. Next slide. More people. Next slide. The priests, the Levites. More. The singers, the gatekeepers, the welcome ministry, the ushers. Do we have another one? Yes, we do. The temple servants. Oh, tell me, do we have another one? That's a big list of people. Now, on top of that, I want you to keep in mind that it was nearly, it was a little over 42,000 people. And they had made their journey over 900 miles over and above the desert to get there. Some of them weren't even from there originally, but they went there. Now, some of you know about immigration, have immigration stories. When my uh, grandmother, when her family immigrated, she was a little girl. And when my grandmother as a little girl, when their family immigrated, a couple of her brothers had to stay in the country of origin because they weren't allowed on the boat because one of them was sick and the other brother said he'd stay with them. She lost a sister. A sister died. It was hard. It was difficult. And I can imagine, some of you have stories too, I can only imagine what it was like for all of these people to make their way back to Jerusalem over 900 miles to go there. And the reason why, it wasn't because it was a great, thriving metropolis, but they had been called by God. They had a sense of a calling, a sense of a purpose, a sense of a, a meaning that they were meant to go and they were meant to rebuild Jerusalem. And what is going on here when the Lord inspires Nehemiah to make this recording and also to find these books is what is happening is the Lord is inspiring and getting... Uh, uh, this idea of funding their imagination to imagine that your ancestors have made this way over here. Can you imagine you also, you also have a calling to rebuild this community. You also have a purpose that I have for you, says the Lord. God's plan for the sustainability of the community is that he calls people and he inspires a response. Initially, there were 42,000. And then there were these people that built. And they had contributed their finances, they had contributed their time and their effort. 
the Lord was, was, had called them, those original people, and now also trying to inspire this new generation that was there to also lean into the call that God had placed on their lives. And when I think about it practically, and I put that into our terms here, I think one of the things as we look at um, the people that have gone before us, if I just start with um, Westview, I would say that we have tremendous cause for gratitude. Gratitude, if we think about the people that have gone before us. This is a little, uh, uh, the Westview story, a little history book of this church. Back in 1976, some of you here this morning have been baptized here. Some of you have attended uh, youth here. Your children are here. You came to the Lord through uh, various means. Because some people back in 1976 established this church. People like um, Brian and Judy Hill. People like Fritz and Shirley Ann. Uh, people like um, Joan Rainforth. Norma and her family. Ron and Adeline Sumac. The original people that established Westview in humble means, and now look today, how many people uh, have, have, have given their life to the Lord, have been baptized, have grown in their faith as a result of the people that have gone before us? And it's cause for gratitude. They've gone before us. If you are here this morning and... Um, you know um, Jesus Christ, and maybe you have made a commitment to him, it is most likely because somebody has talked to you about it. Somebody has talked to you about it. Someone has gone before you. Do you see what it says in verse 7? I want to just go there for a second. We didn't read a lot of this because, I mean, there's just a lot there. But in verse 7, it says, um, they came with... So those, that list of people that, tra that traveled back to Jerusalem, they brought people. And we can be, we, if you are a follower of Jesus today, it is most likely that because somebody has talked to you, someone has gone before you, has, and maybe you're even here this morning because someone brought you. But the most remarkable thing, the, the biggest cause for gratitude is that Christ Jesus himself has gone before us. And he has made it possible for everyone or anyone to be part of the community of God, part of the kingdom of God. And it has nothing to do with ethnicity, Jew or Gentile. Because I would say probably most of us are what you'd call Gentiles. So the gratitude factor has got to be like really high. That Christ Jesus has gone before us. He accepted the call. And he now gives the call to us. A call that comes from him. It's, it's by him. It's a call to him. And it's a call for him. So, each one of you has been created with a purpose. He knows your name the skills and abilities that you have, the passions that you have, 
The gifts that he bestows on you is for a purpose and there's a meaning to it. And that is part of the, the, the call that he has on your life. And it is particularly for kingdom-oriented ministry. Now that can mean while you're in the workforce, of course. But it's leaning into that higher calling. The current of the day have us tempted to flow in the currents of nothingness. The currents of the day are constantly reducing and lowering the bar when Christ Jesus is interested in raising the bar and giving you a really high sense of purpose and meaning. I want to pause for a moment uh, for some Q&R. You can uh, text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca and I'll I'll, uh, take your questions or you can stand where you are and I'll... um, I'll take your questions that way, and we'll just take a a minute or two. Tyler's getting the iPad ready. If you have a question, text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca or stand where you are, and we'll we'll take take your questions. I got nothing so far. I think they want you to read the entire list from Nehemiah 7. I think that's actually what you're all wanting. Given given that there are no questions. (laughs) That you could just read that and pronounce all those names perfectly. That would be fantastic. I know. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Or not. That would be a a bit of a challenge. (laughs) I do have a couple. Yeah, go ahead. This is just something about like the start when you're talking about community in the church. So my brother's also a pastor and he's been talking about the same thing about how there's been this huge drop off. What's the strategy for the church for that to, you know, increase community and whatnot? What's the strategy? Strategy. Ah, yes. So, so that's good. Um, yeah. So I, I think, and I'm, I, I think one of the, one of the things that we need to be aware of is the, um, the tactics of the enemy, and are we playing into it? So I said earlier when we were talking about, um, you know, conflict uh, resolution and this idea of just being quiet, like avoid it, don't talk about it as a, as a strategy, which is actually a strategy of the devil is to keep quiet. Another, there's two primary strategies. Now, coming back to... Jesus' metaphor, extended metaphor of the flock and the shepherd. If the flock, the other primary strategy is to get someone from the flock away from the flock. Now imagine if you can get someone, or someone away from the flock and get them to be quiet. What is the chance of their, their be, them being in jeopardy? It's dangerous. So Part of it is for us to understand uh, what are the strategies of the enemy and are we going to succumb to those? Are we going to play into those? Uh, you know, in, in Hebrews, this passage, uh, uh, you know, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And so we need to encourage one another to gather together. 
we need to actually be about that. And I'm going to talk a little bit, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more in, in a minute uh, to finish off your question. Um, but I'll, I'll see if there aren't any, then I'm going to finish with unpacking that. I think it's a great question. And I'm going to chime in as the community groups pastor. Yeah. Because this is my jam. This is exactly one of the parts that I love here. And I will say this, the strategy is for people to hear this call, this opportunity to community, but then to take that step of courage and of maybe even craziness and to do something and to lean into the Lord and to say, you know what? Maybe I am going to open up my home. Maybe I'm going to say, mm-hmm. I want to start a group. Maybe I mm-hmm. want to gather people around my table. Yeah. I have to eat dinner. Guess what? So do others. Mm-hmm. Maybe we gather for a meal. Maybe we gather to pray. Maybe we gather to sharpen one another, to not forsake the assembly of gathering together. We need people boldened by the Spirit to lean into that and say, maybe it's me. Not, well, someone else should do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's me. Maybe God's calling me to start a group, to start gathering people. And if that is you, I'm going to put the plug out there. Yeah. Come and talk to me. I want to resource you. I want to pray for you. I want to equip you. But we want to see groups happen and grow and launch. And that might be what the Lord is calling you to this year out of this series of this need for community. Yeah. I could preach. Yeah. No, it's good, dude. I, I like it. And, and so um, have you got more there? Uh, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So we'll go with this. I've heard people say that a church is just another quote, quote, social group. Right. How can we separate ourselves out from that label? Yeah. So good. Yeah. It's just another social group or community group. Um, so, so one thing I will say is that we are, um, we're absolutely designed to live in community. Um, so uh, Dr. Matthew Lieberman wrote a book a while back called Social, uh, Why We Are Wired to Connect. And what he discovered and what he posits his thesis is that we are actually literally wired to be in community. Okay? It's not a religious book, it's a science book. We are meant to be in community. We're meant to live together. And uh, um, can, can you just... Yeah, how can we separate yeah, so, ourselves from so, this? We, social is good. We, there's n- nothing wrong with being social. The difference is that we, we are centered on Jesus Christ. It's the way we are social together. Humble and gentle in heart. We consider others more important than ourselves. We are servant leaders. So the king of our kingdom determines the nature of our kingdom. So we're absolutely social. I love it. When I see Sage gathering there on Thursdays, the seniors group gathering there on, on, on Thursdays, like that really just really gets me energized. It's, it's beautiful. When I see youth or young adults getting together, Westview kids getting together, yeah, it's absolutely social. It needs to be social, but the kind, the nature in which we get together and how we live life together is determined by Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. He shapes and influences that. And the challenge is that we don't always do that well because we're imperfect people. So we keep coming back to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and that's the differentiator. It's good. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Yeah, okay. Music team, would you come up? Um, and, and as you do, I want to just be really specific about what God is calling you to. Uh, I'm going to get very prescriptive here. You know, when uh, we were debating about the title for this sermon, uh, I was going to use the word call in the sermon title, and then uh, Tosh said, yeah, but who calls anymore? <laughs> right? 
my daughters, like, if I suggest to them, well, maybe you should just call them, uh, my daughters will say, Dad, that's desperate. <laughs> She's like, no, we don't, we don't. But I want to tell you that God, our Creator, actually calls. And what I mean by that is our Creator, by the Holy Spirit, is prompting people and giving thoughts to people and quickening the spirit in people. And one of the things he is doing is he is calling you. If you have not said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, I want Jesus to be my king, he is calling you and he is speaking to you to say, yes, respond to that call. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's call number one. He calls you to him. The other thing that he is calling us to is what I call spiritual disciplines. And this is patterned after Jesus himself. If you would read through the gospel book of Luke, you would see the pattern of Jesus' life in ministry. And he had spiritual disciplines. Jesus had time alone with uh, where he prayed, where he read scripture, where he memorized scripture. Spiritual disciplines. You are being called to spiritual disciplines. He's calling you to that. And one of the spiritual disciplines is gathering together. Yes, prayer. Yes, solitude and silence of devotion of reading Scripture and memorizing Scripture. Jesus memorized Scripture. But another spiritual discipline is attending together, attending the community together. It seems like that's not very fancy. That actually getting together is your call to get together. And you know what? It's not fancy, but it's challenging, isn't it? To actually wake up in the morning especially in the wintertime when the light isn't coming yet, a spiritual discipline that says, like, I'm not asking the question, do I feel like it? I'm asking the question, what time is it? Let's go. Because we're being called to attend together. Remember what I said, the strategy of the enemy is to get us away from community and on our own, where we are vulnerable to lies and deceit and the attacks of the enemy, things that are simply not true. We get vulnerable when we're not in community. So attending together. I love to see young adults attending here. You know, people like, uh, uh, well, should I make names? I don't know. I'm not going to, but you know who you are. Um, Hewitt and Peter, young men who are coming on their own, gathering together here. Faith and Elise, they're up with, with uh, uh, the camp over there, young women who are giving of their lives Moyo and Opie, I could go on. Young adults, older adults that are swimming against the current. You're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. I'm going to be part of this community. It's a part of a spiritual discipline. I'm going to be here as part of building the kingdom of God because you sense that there is a bigger calling on your life. And you know what? It's true. There is a bigger calling in your life. And the Lord has something amazing plan for you and your family. The greatest, the first greatest witness is for the church to simply be together in worship and praise to the, our God. 
That's our first greatest assignment. As a church, our first greatest assignment is to come together and worship and praise the Lord. And let that be a witness and a testimony into our neighborhood, into our community, and so on. And then, of course, it reaches out, and we have food bank, and people start coming over to the food bank, and they're going, this church is pretty amazing. We make lunches for kids twice a week in the kitchen over there, brown bag for kids. Of course, that extends outward. But it begins with coming together as a witness that we're together and we're praising the Lord together as imperfect people. And you know, you're in the workforce, you're, you're, you're a teacher, you're in healthcare, you're in IT, you're in oil and gas, and that's awesome. And you, part of your calling is to that. But all of that is also a purpose and a direction for building the kingdom of God. And what is he calling you to even in those areas in that workforce? So that when the records are written, your names will be beside as they record the names of the kingdom of God builders. Our names are there. Kingdom of God builders is part of this record. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as community to make a joyful noise this morning. And I, I mean, I'm a musician and professionally, um, and a lot of you love music and are you know, amateur musicians.